Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 358, recorded January 17th, 2022. So Ken, remember a few weeks back when we had the big party? Woohoo! We finished, we read them all. Yeah, yeah I, all remember the I remember that. We're caught up completely. Well, well, you know how many times we claimed victory. At least three. But the last time we really thought we had. Yeah, yeah, we thought we had. And then I went back and did an audit looking at all of our episodes <laughs> compared to... There, there, what's funny is that there's about a thousand comic books right now, uh, Star Trek comics that have come out. So it's like almost exactly a thousand. It's like a thousand and seven or something like that. Ridiculously. Wow. It's like, man, it's, it's that's a lot. funny that it's right on that number. That's a round number. Yeah. That's a big round so, number. Uh, so I went ahead and was like, all right, here's all the books. When did we cover them? And then come to find out, eh, we missed a few. <laughs> That's, I, I love your AR tendencies. That's great. But what's funny is that this one, the one we're doing today, which is Star Trek The Next Generation Space Between, came out in 2007 and was and the very first. It was the very first IDW Star Trek, and we totally missed it. Oh, really? Yeah. The first one? Oh, cool. Or at least the first Next Generation one. I don't know. I'd have to look they, to see if yeah, they might have uh, had Taws. Yeah, but yeah, that's crazy that we uh, we missed what we were probably reading at the time that we pondered. Hey, let's start doing a podcast. <laughs> right, right. So we were really focused on uh, on the existing comics, DC, Marvel, all those kind of things. Hadn't right. quite gotten as much into the new ones, I guess. So yeah, it is funny. So yeah, these came out at the beginning of uh, two thousand seven. And if I remember right, that's about when we started recording. Because I do remember buying these, and mm. I remember reading them while we were recording other episodes. But I guess that's why I thought we covered it when we did not. That being said, we'll do the first three today. Some of our first, actually, some of our first recordings was 2010. Ah, uh, so we it wasn't quite all that. Not new. quite, but uh, yeah. So episode five was uh, 2010. January. Oh, okay. So we were probably messing around with it in 20, 2009. Anyway, yes. Anyways, these were so, fairly new. and uh, They slipped through the cracks, and I like them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're kind of like um, set. It, I mean, it, the thing's called Space Between, and it's actually each issue set somewhere in the Star Trek Next Generation timeline between seasons one and seven. Just, it, uh, it's the little episodes in between. Right. You know, literally the space between. Exactly. They could be between specific episodes of TNG or just in a general time period. Right. Because they give you little hints here and there that are sometimes quite precise. And other times, it's, at least I didn't spot anything that tells me exactly when. But you can usually get it within the right season anyway. Right, right. Although they help us out sometimes. <laughs> Right, when someone's still alive and you're like, I know she doesn't, uh, that person doesn't uh, live to the end. So. <laughs> or there's a specific thing that happens with Spock. It's like, oh, 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 oh I know that. <laughs> so, uh, 
shall we just jump straight into the issues? Let's do them. And wrap up. So we got six of them, so we're doing two episodes. Yeah, of the to, So to then we do have, uh, you know, just completely show how inept I was at uh, keeping track. There's also another miniseries that we didn't cover, which was um, The Last Generation, which I right. think is another, like, remember I told you a while back that they did this whole myriad universe push between pocketbooks. They were doing some myriad universe where it wasn't the mirror universe, but it was also not quite the prime universe. It was just something was off, you know, kind of like a what if or elsewhere oh, type thing. Okay. Uh, so there's a mini series called The Last Generation. And then there's just some other like random alien spotlights that we somehow missed. So, oh, oh, and uh, Star Trek year, uh, year final mission. We missed that one too. So, unfortunately, you know, we tooted our horn a little early, but uh, we'll get it covered. Yeah, at least we're sweeping around, coming around in and amongst our uh, novels and other things we're covering. Right. To uh, make sure we wrap it up. Yeah, and it's kind of good because uh, this, um, you know, keeps us from being too bored while we're waiting for more Mirror War. <laughs> True. And some of these stories are really nice. I, I like issue two a lot. Right. Yeah, no, it's good. All of them are good, I thought. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, they really feel Although, like an episode set in that season. Yes, it know? does. Because season one is bad. Uh, ah! <laughs> and this first issue is the weakest out of the six, I think. And uh, it really feels like a season one episode to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's confused. For, I, I'm for confused the good by and the, the first one. I'm confused by the first one. Oh, really? Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Maybe you can clear up a few things. That I just did not get from reading it. Okay. Uh, all right. So Let's I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, this came out of January 2007. Uh, the series, again, Star Trek Next Generation, Space Between. Issue one is entitled History Lesson. Writer was David Trisham or Trishman. Art by Cassie Maloney. Probably Colors. Tishman. Tishman. So I had it right the first time. Sure. But, uh, you know, being a big superhero fan, it's Tishman. <laughs> Got to emphasize the man part. Anyways, colors by Leonard O'Grady. Letters by Robbie Robbins. Edits by Dan Taylor. So this is uh, going to be set during season one once we get there. But there are a lot of covers, so let's do that. So the first cover is by Dennis Calero. And it shows the Enterprise, what looks like the Enterprise E, and then behind that we see the Enterprise D, and behind that we see the Enterprise C, behind that B, A, and then the original Enterprise. Then they're kind of like all staggered and going off into the distance. And then to the left of those ships we see Picard, Data, and Yar. And then off to the right of all of that, we see what looks to be like three crew members beaming up somewhere. Cover B is just a photo cover, shows Patrick Stewart in his season one uniform. And then there's a little insert in the top right-hand corner, which shows Data, Riker, and Jordy. And uh, Riker's pointing off to the distance somewhere. And, uh, of course, Riker, beardless, and Jordy in his red uniform from season one. C is by Zach Howard, and it's kind of a weird picture of Picard, but he's all colored in 
purple. It's like just his face. It's uh, right in your face, purple. And then we see the Enterprise D, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, all in yellow, even her skin and everything, we see Yar. And then there's uh, the title, the space between, off to the left. The final cover, D, is just the uh, same as cover C, except without any color. So it's just the sketch variant by Zach Howard. So as mentioned before, this is season one somewhere within the season. So the story starts with the Enterprise D arriving to the planet Tegan that has recently opened up communications with the Federation. Picard is talking to the leader, Chancellor Lomac, who we see, we the reader, see that this alien species is just a human with a elongated neck with the gold bands, which is a style that's here on Earth already, but in this universe, everybody looks like this with the uh, long extended neck. Let's look at giraffe. Okay. Really he's long. Really long, yes. So then Riker, Yard, Data beam down to meet with the Chancellor. As they're beaming down, there is a strange pulse from the surface. They do rematerialize on the surface just fine and are eventually greeted by a man named Edic. Edic leads them into the building, and while he's doing so, he explains how the planet is powered by a confined black hole. He also tells Data that all Tegans are implanted with a device that's located behind their ear that feeds information and entertainment to all Tegans at all time. So in essence, the whole society is completely connected to the internet that feeds them all the known data at all time. Edic finally leads them to the Chancellor's office, but Riker is confused since it is a woman who says she is Chancellor Kadic. When the away team asks about Lomok, both Kadic and Edic seem to not know who Lomok is, and that Kadic is indeed the planet's leader. Data borrows a nearby terminal and confirms that this is indeed the case. Meanwhile, in orbit, the Enterprise detects another energy wave, but this time it slams into the ship and sends it hurtling out of the solar system. Back on the planet, Yar, Data, and Riker are trying to piece out what happened. They know of the pulse that happened just moments ago, and that they speculate that perhaps the pulse could have somehow rewritten the planet's internet and then thereby changing all of the Wikipedia pages to completely new information, and since the Tegans are literally wired up into it, they will just accept all this new information as fact and believe that that's how it's always been. They say that they can see where the archives have actually been rewritten only 10 times in the last 200 years, and six of those have been just within the last 10. Kadic tires of their meddling and orders a security team to stun them. And then here we see that Lomac is now just a lonely security officer. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, we find out that it has been flung through the cosmos at incredible speeds. They are now on their way to the Gamma Quadrant. Jordy tells Picard that they will not be able to break out using conventional warp engines. Picard then comes up with the idea of instead of breaking out, they fly through the gravitational pulse wave 
and they actually perform a time travel slingshot maneuver within the wave that will allow them to travel back in time to the moment before they were hit by the beam. And then they say the computers won't allow them to make those calculations, and that Worf will have to do it manually. Meanwhile on the planet, Riker and Yar are locked up in a brig while Data is being tinkered with. While Data is strapped to the chair with his head exposed, he looks around and he sees that he's in a giant library. Etik and Katik then tell of their evil plan. It seems that Etik's family has been in charge of the planetary database for generations now, and that at one point 200 years ago, they accidentally erased it when they were trying to harness that black hole. And then ever since then, it's been his family's mission to preserve it. And then recently, Katik has wanted to take over, so she had him create the pulse to erase it and rewrite it and put her in charge of the planet. And they're now working on Data's memories so that he will only remember a pleasant visit when he returns back to the Federation. Meanwhile, Riker and Yar are able to rig up a communicator to disable the force field and escape. Just as they escape, the Enterprise arrives and blasts the gravitational gun to prevent another pulse. Riker and Yar are able to blast their way into the room Data is in and rescue him. Etik finally stands up to Katik and she is arrested for forcing him to tamper with the historical archives. The crew eventually beam back to the ship, and sometime later, Yar finds Data looking out at the stars. Data repeats the old saying, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yar then asks if he minds if she just stands with him for a while. The end. How nice, how romantic. Yeah, so I guess it wasn't just a one-time thing in the Naked Now. Well, Maybe she does have feelings for him. Let's talk about that. How do you know this wasn't between Encounter at Farpoint and the Naked Now? And the Naked Now was the second second episode. That's a good point. It could be after that. I mean, before that. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure which after. one. Yeah. But in the Naked Now, after everybody got back to normal, Yar seemed embarrassed Right. That she had um, had carnal relations with Data. Right. Well, I think she was just embarrassed that her ambitions were lifted. <laughs> her inhibitions. Inhibitions. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, it, in, in the early episodes, because it's been a while since I've seen some of the first season ones, because as you say, they're not the best. I, I don't remember any little bits and pieces other than that Naked Now thing where there was any kind of special relationship between Yar and Data. Was there? Or was there? Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. Not that I'm aware of. But this certainly seems to be. I mean, when Tasha sees that Data wakes up or whatever, she's like, Data! And she's got a, her beautiful little eyes wide open, and she seems just delighted. <laughs> I mean, more so than you'd think, typically, for any, you know, an average crewman. Right. Well, maybe this is the first time she saw him without his <laughs> skull cap. <laughs> I, I, I guess it could be considered sexy. <laughs> I was just taking it as relief that uh, you know he, even though he looks like he's would be in a lot of pain, he's he's okay. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I would not take that as sexy. No, that was kind of a joke. But that's okay. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of sexy, Ken. <laughs> I, I, really I know what you're going to say. Really did not get, I don't know if you do. I didn't get the, uh, Riker asks Yar to distract the. Oh, the, that. That's what you're going to talk about. Yeah. So he asked, he That's asked funny. her to distract the guard with her feminine wiles or whatever. Well, he insinuates that. Yeah. And then but she's he doesn't actually like, say that. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, it's all he insinuated. He doesn't say that, and then she says, "With all due respect, I think he would rather be distracted by you." <laughs> <laughs> Good joke. But how would she know that? Right? How would she know that? And I don't really even understand why they needed him to be distracted. I guess they needed him to be close for some reason. Uh, but I, I think it was just a good joke. Yeah. I I, I thought that was kind of clever, really. Although, really, how I mean, unless he had a uh, a lilting. Gate, how would how would she even possibly know what the guards' preferences are? Right. I, don't know. I, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Chancellor Lomac. Oh, you think she's sexy? Oh, uh, you didn't notice. Okay, so on page fourteen, look at page fourteen. Uh huh. There's like a top-down shot, right. and it's like. Wow, Chancellor Lomack, you got some cleavage. <laughs> I mean, look at that. It's blatant. It is blatant. And, and, there's, and there's other spots where they're showing, you know, nice drawings of people's butts. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I'm fine with all that, but I, I think Casey Maloney yeah, you know, likes to throw in a little sexy stuff sometimes <laughs> to his drawings. Now, uh... Speaking of the drawings, what did you think overall about the artwork? I thought it was a mixed bag. I think where they're beaming down first, you know, Riker and his team mm-hmm. are beaming down. Their faces may not look fantastic, but I love the transportation effect that, that's, yeah. that's drawn. I think that looks really cool. And then I think when uh, the Enterprise is getting hit from the planetary uh, shot that sends it hurling you know, into the Gamma Quadrant. Um, I think that's a really cool picture, and especially showing how the uh, shields are flaring. Right. I thought that was really good. But a lot of the faces are very hit and miss how close they are to the uh, actors. Right. Yeah, I think the one that uh, misses it the most for me is Riker. Yeah. I mean, I know that we're used to just, maybe we're used to always seeing him with the beard, but even... Even saying that, uh, there's some shots where, especially like on page five, mm-hmm. uh, there's yeah. a close-up of Riker. And or are you smiling? It, if I, yeah, if I was just looking at this, I would think that's DeForest Kelly. I'd be like, oh, what's, what's, what's Bones doing here? <sighs> oh, it's, it's Riker. <laughs> well, how about that? I think even, even less or, or more off the mark is the panel two over to the right. Right, right. You know, Riker is uh, saying there must be some mistake. I think his nose looks totally wrong, but that's not the only thing. Also, in a lot of these panels, people's hair. I mean, Tasha's hair, I mean, in some of these panels, it's like a huge, almost like a second person is growing out of her forehead. (laughs) And then then some some of Riker's, you know, quaffs are a bit uh, large also. Right. No, I agree 100%. But still, minor nits. I, overall, I like the artwork. Yeah, 
yeah, and, and this is a style, you know, this is like a more cartoony anime mm-hmm. type look, I think, than yeah. what you and I, I think, tend to like better, right. which is the more, you know, quote unquote, realistic looking. Yeah. But no, it it totally gets the job done, and and I have really no complaints about it. No, uh, it's just you know, I did think that the that one shot looked so much like DeForest Kelly that I was just like, she had to have done that on purpose. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, the bottom of page nine before Riker gets shot, I think that they got a close up of his face, and I think that also looks a lot like DeForest Kelly. Yep, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I'm confused. Maybe you can help Mm me. Sure. Okay, so at the end of the issue, which I thought was a bit abrupt and felt a little forced, um, it it confused me. So, Edic, Edic, whatever, close to Edic, by the way, but Edic, the first guy the OAT meets, so he stepped in at the end and stopped Chancellor Kadek's plan to reprogram data to forget get that the Tegan government has a habit of rewriting history and downloading that history into people's brain against their will? I mean, right. was that the deal? That, yep. And then, and, and then, okay, so fine. And then, Edic came in, even though he apparently is not the chancellor, he's just some guy in the government, he goes ahead and basically is apologizing and saying, oh, sorry we shot you and tried to rewrite the brain of one of your your officers. And by the way, what were they going to do with Tasha and Riker if the plan was to send a reprogrammed data back to the ship? Right. What, what about well, those two? I assume that they know how to rewrite humanoid memories so that they were just going to oh, get the, they were gonna get the, uh, the old data dump like the rest of the population. Okay, so, okay, so Tasha and Riker were going to get reprogrammed also, even though they never talked about that. Yeah. But okay. then, what, how are they going to explain the Enterprise? Oh, but we lost the Enterprise. But aside from that, we had a jolly good time. Oh, yeah. And so how did the Enterprise get Q-thwacked to a different quadrant? No, I'm just talking about, I mean, how would you go to the Federation and say, I had a good time, well, but we lost our ship and no, but, our captain and all but that. But didn't they actually say, the plan was to send them back to the Enterprise and tell Picard. Uh, it says send them back to the Federation. Oh, Oh, so they were going to try to say the Gravimatrix accident is what destroyed the Enterprise? Oh. Uh, oh. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Or That's... hurl it into a different quadrant? Ah. Uh, and, right. and, and they were still going to be buddy-buddy with the Federation? Exactly. Right, somehow. Somehow. I, and then at the end, you know, all this stuff happened, and then Riker is like, Oh, I know there's been some issues here, but I'm sure we can work through it. Really? <laughs> Do you trust these people? They're reprogramming their people against their will. I mean, oh, okay. Now, now, maybe the people are okay with having their brains messed with and re- redoing history, but I can't, believe, I can't imagine everybody is. I mean... <laughs> I mean, through propaganda, people get, get histories rewritten all the time. Right. Uh, on our planet. But this is like... They're literally downloading, they're wiping and downloading new memories. Right. At least from a, from a, a big picture historical standpoint. Right. Which is what I think they're, they're going for there to be kind of a, analogous to how we rewrite our history based on 
whoever's in charge. You know, same thing that George Orwell did in 1984 is, uh, you know, we've always been at war with them. You know, we've never liked them. Right. So, you know, this I just thought was, you know, the sci-fi version of, well, I mean, even though 1984 is a little sci-fi, but. Oh, it is sci-fi, but it's sociological and political and other things, but. But I just took it as this is this is the Star Trek version, and it's actually getting beamed straight into your brain. Yeah, which I kind of liked. I kind of liked the idea. I mean, and you kind of think about it. You, we we you like the idea? I like. I thought it was an interesting idea. I don't know. I'm not saying I am a proponent of we doing that, <laughs> but I thought it made a good story. And I thought that the idea of basing all your knowledge on what in essence is Wikipedia pages is pretty relevant because, you know, people now are like, I don't have to learn that because if I ever need it, I'll just Google it, you know? And it's just like, yes, but you could be in a situation where you can't Google it and it would be nice to know, you know, how to do simple arithmetic or U S history or world history or anything like that. Right. I mean, you, you, you do need to know stuff. You can't just always rely on, I'll just look it up when I need to know it, uh, which I thought this this kind of played into that a little bit. You know, if we come if we become 100 percent reliant on being able to Google it when we need to think about it, then, uh, you know, then are we really do we even even have true, true, real thought? Right. If everything could just be changed and we would just accept it as truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are rewriting the results of elections by just <laughs> screaming loud enough and repeating things loud enough. And there's people that want to believe it, so they do. That's true. So, yep. It's a, a very recent thing. That, it's uh, a very recent thing. Example of, of exactly what? Trying what to rewrite works. history. Right. Oh, well. But, uh, but my thing is, is that why did Edit get away scot-free? He, he obviously seemed in on it. It didn't seem like he was doing this out of duress or anything. I mean, it wasn't until the very end when he's like, he can't hurt you, but I will. You know, aside from that, he's he's been her lackey, her willing lackey the whole time. Well, and is it yet, because is it because uh, Riker and Yar broke free and then they were having problems reprogramming data? I mean, what, what I, I know he and his family has been the the people safeguarded with the keys to the rewrite of everybody's brain devices. But so what exactly convinced him to shut down uh what's her face kadek oh because he he was taking advantage of riker and yar breaking free and since he's a lackey he just jumped sides to the what he saw was oh, right okay so so the main pro, the main point is what what kadek was doing wasn't working well it would have worked if they weren't there it, if it wasn't for those meddling thought... kids <laughs> but i also think they weren't able to reprogram data Right, 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 right. Like I said, without with the exception of the Federation people, whatever he was doing was working. Everybody just accepted her as the chancellor. Right. And this has been the sixth time in the last ten years, so you assume that he's been in charge of this for the last ten years. So he's done it six times, but it's only been done like ten times <clears throat> over the whole 200 years. So right. in 190 years, four times total, they had to rewrite history. And then just within the last six, he's done it ten times. So I, I don't think he should be left scot-free and Riker just beams back up and like, good luck. 
Yeah, exactly. I completely yeah, agree with that. Like, that's that's be bunk. in jail. <laughs> now, just before Edic changed his mind about what Kadic was doing, directly before I'm just I'm just reminding myself looking at the pages. Mm. Um Riker and Yar use their phasers and they blast a hole in the wall where Data's being held. Right. And just before that, the Enterprise is back and they totally phasered um, whatever beam projector, whatever, that sent the Enterprise away. Right. So there was some major damage going on. <laughs> that might have been something to be a trigger for uh, Edic. Edic? Right. But still... It doesn't make him a good person. No, makes no, him, no, not at all. Uh, it, it makes him a lackey that jumps on the winning side. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so let's. Uh, you hinted to it earlier. Let's talk about the predicament that the uh, Enterprise was in. Ah. <laughs> okay, Gamma Quadrant. I mean, you, you, you hear about Delta Quadrant. You hear about Beta Quadrant, because isn't Beta where uh, where the Klingons are? Well, if you think about it, uh, Earth is right on the uh, middle the of the uh, Alpha and Beta quadrant. Okay, so, okay, okay. So they both the Federation, Romulan, and Klingon, all kind of are in the, both the Alpha and Beta. Okay, and then Gamma. Until uh, Deep Space Nine, you didn't hear about Gamma too much, and then right. you heard a lot about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Deep Space Nine. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, how, how did they do it? And you're going to have Worf doing the calculations to bring him back. <laughs> okay. It's such a ridiculous uh, situation, which, again, no offense to the writer, mm-hmm. um, because that is such a fa- uh, season one type story. <laughs> oh. Just get hit with a pulse, and then suddenly you're... That you don't explain. Billions of light years away, and, mm. you know, just... How many times did they do that in those early years? Yeah. Uh, so that part now, it, when Q's it, around, I can understand it, but sure, short of Q, that's like, come on. I agree, it's ridiculous, but it happened. It happened quite a few times in those early seasons. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it does say it sends the Enterprise at at incredible speeds, Towards. nearing the speed of light. Yeah, I know. What's that about? So that means it's not even going warp one, exactly. and yet somehow it's going to move them through all the way to the the delta quadrant or uh, gamma. gamma quadrant. Yeah. I was a little confused. Yeah, that was confusing. And then to do the whole slingshot maneuver while you're still inside the wave of this uh, pulse seemed a little yeah. silly. So what, what what they were trying to channel a little bit the Taz movies. Whatever, right. and they went, and they they not only covered great distances, but they also time. They went back in time a little bit too, right? Right. Yeah. He said he was going to send them back to before they got hit by the by the pulse. Okay. Which I'm assuming when you go back in time, you're you're still in the same place you were before, right? Yeah, I would think so. And then didn't Jordy already say it was going to take them hundreds of years to? get back from where they were at that moment and they were still being hurtled through space. Something about that. Yeah, something so like that. that means that they would s- still have several hundreds of uh, years to go. So, yeah. uh, it was a little confusing. Yeah. Or, or are they going with, if we go back in time, we go back into our previous selves of that time. 
and we never get hit by the pulse, which right. I do not like that that version. There you go. It's like problems with the, with the story, with the writing. Right. But, again, it felt like a season one. Yeah. Because, complete with uh, story <laughs> defects. And also maybe a tad racist, which season one is, is also bad. Oh, well, they didn't do anything racist here, did they? Did they? I don't know. By, by making these... Um, Aliens, you know, because there is a culture of people in Africa that do put things oh, on their the necks. Yeah. Yeah. And so now they're like, oh, these people are so alien because they they do this crazy ring thing on their necks and have people staring at them. And oh. I'm like, that is a, you know, that's a cultural thing that's actually here done on Earth. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of now kind of poking fun at that? I, or are I they just taking inspiration from that? I mean, they're just Which would be fine if they would have just like rolled with it, you know? Maybe, maybe it'd be okay. But I well, don't know. what what do you mean rolled with it? I don't know. It's, didn't wasn't Data staring? Or I guess he was staring at the uh, implant behind. He the was ear. staring at the implant. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, you've got an interface too. I got one of those. Here, let me take my hat off. Take <laughs> my hat off. So it's traditionally an African style uh, yeah. to do your neck that way, and and all these aliens are white, so. Nah. Uh, <laughs> now I you could know. say something about that. Isn't isn't absolutely everybody in this episode white except for Jordy? Uh and Worf if you want to count oh, him as not white. Good point. Yeah. Anyway, well the aliens I guess I'm I'm more Sure. Saying. Yeah, no, all the aliens are I mean we only see like a handful of them, but yeah. they're all white. Yeah. Okay. Caucasian. Alright, that's uh I think that's the last of my comments. Oh, oh I did have one more. What? Um, I like that Jordy is the one that does the engineering techno babble, even though he's not the chief mm-hmm. engineer at all. Right. So even after he gives uh, Picard the information, then Picard like checks in with engineering to see if that's right. <laughs> <laughs> or just to give the orders. Right. I thought that was kind of cool. And then uh, also seeing Worf manning the security station, uh, it was kind of a, a prelude to knowing that eventually that'll be his his station. Right. Which I don't think we ever saw him at that station before Yard died, right? So, um, well, security ops—that thing on the uh, curved wood thing. Right. Yeah, that's a security station. Okay. Yeah. So he was always a navigator until right. Yard died, and then suddenly he had a new shirt and he was standing behind there. Right. <laughs> so since it's like, is... hey, he should have been your security guy all along. I mean, no, right. nothing no, against Yard. I'm just saying, he's a he's a Klingon. All right. But anyways, it was kind of cool to see this that, you know, if we were all taking this as real canon or whatever, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's a precedent that Jordy, very techno-minded, so maybe he deserves a promotion right. to chief engineer and Worf, able to do these crazy calculations and things, and maybe he would be a perfect security officer or head of security. <clears throat> so. Right. I thought it was just kind of cool. little foreshadowing, even though it's... They already know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> what, I mean, it's gonna be. Right. if anybody was going to do calculations, I mean, of course, obviously it would be data normally, but he's not around. Wouldn't he have? I don't know, Jordy. It's like, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that Spock would always do, right? Right. Do the calculations that that slingshot you in time, and no one else could do it. It's like now we have Worf doing it, which nothing against Worf's intelligence is just like, come on, you got to be a big brain specialist scientist kind of person. Anyway. Yeah, but remember there was that um, 
there was that issue that we did recently where we found out that Chekhov that or Sulu did all the navigation calculations in his head before he types them in. So he never he wasn't using the computer; he was just doing them. What? Chekhov was doing that. No, no, Sulu, Sulu was doing the calculations, and then like Chekhov was like, "You do them in your head," and he's like, "Yeah, of course, wouldn't you?" You know, or something like that. It was just like a throwaway line. Do you remember that? And it was uh, I, I don't, one I don't of those. Remember. Sorry, man. I think it was actually in the year five towards the yeah. end. And isn't Chekhov a navigator? I mean, Sulu obviously is very I means he's oh, the pilot, Sulu's the helmsman, but... right? And Chekhov's the navigator. Maybe exactly, it is switch. Right. One, of, regardless, one of them was okay. doing some heavy calculations. Okay, which is head. underscoring how intelligent Chekhov was, probably. Probably, yeah. Okay, okay I, it, that's that makes more sense. Okay. And then you know, with uh, well, I don't know. It was Worf the helmsman, or was he the uh, navigator? <sighs> I don't remember, but yeah, I, I, don't. I, I do agree with you. He often was, you know, in one of those two spots. Right. Well, Picard likes to cross train. Yeah, which right? is good. Works, worked well for him. Sure, sure. <laughs> he got a helmsman that turned into a engineer, which I would think would be very different um, skill sets. But And another one that uh, became chief of the transporter. No. Oh. Uh, oh, O'Brien? Yeah, that's where he started off. Well, he started off as a, as a grunt or something, right? And then during the Cardassian War, he found out he had a knack for engineering stuff when he got a transporter working. Right, right, right. But I'm talking about in the season one of Star Trek. Oh, okay. Generation, he, was, he was just the other helmsman that was kind of rotated between Worf, right. Helm, and uh, Geordi. Right. And, and now, now you're in the transporter room. There you yep. go. Exactly. There you go, Smiley. Because we had to have Wesley on the bridge, so we had to kick all the other three out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anything else? I got one last thing to say. Um, Picard is saying something that is like, hmm. So Picard is talking with Troy, and they're talking about uh, possibly blowing up the Enterprise with this thing they're trying to do. And then Picard says, I'd rather blow the Enterprise to kingdom come than leave them behind. So it's like, hold on a second. So you're going to blow up a thousand people to save three people. I mean, is that a Picardian thing? No. I don't know. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it. Outweighing the needs of the many, definitely. Anyway, I just thought, you know, it shows courage of conviction. I agree with that, and Picard's big on that. It just, it just seemed a little off to me. But, okay. That's it. That's all I have to say. All right. Let's move on to issue two. Okay. Issue 2 is titled Captain's Pleasure. Published date is February 2007. Writer, uh, a lot of the same people. Okay, so everybody's the same uh, between issue 1 and 2. According to Lone Star Comics, there are five covers. Cover A features a dimly lit scene painted in a style reminiscent of Rembrandt. At least to me, it does. Picard's head with a pouty frown is partially lit and dominates the uh, right half of the cover. The left half shows a smaller drawing of Data's head in profile. Maybe he's standing behind Picard a little ways because his head's smaller. I don't know. Covers by Jeremy Geddes. Cover B is a photo cover that is dominated with a head and torso photo of Picard in one of the season three or later uniforms, which I always like those better. Um, And then in a small box to the right is Dr. Crusher in a fetching blue smock. 
So looking at these two crazy kids together, it's, it's really too bad that they didn't get together and get married in the Prime Universe. Anyway, maybe they'll get together again in the, later in the, Prime, in the Picard series. Maybe? I don't know. Cover C is supposed to be another photo cover, but I, I, I was not able to locate uh, an image of it. So, oops. If it's a photo cover, who cares? Cover D is a drawing of Picard in a Series 1 uniform looking out a tall window into space. So that might be his ready room? I'm not sure. Covers by Zach Howard. The last cover presents Picard. It's, it's another drawn one. Picard in profile wearing a black shirt taking up most of the bottom half of the cover. Enterprise D takes up most of the top half of the cover. And that one's by Jeremy Geddes also. And I think these are painted covers. These by Jeremy Geddes. And the look is kind of cool. Picard takes a week off to join an old friend's archaeological dig on Rajatha Prime. Dr. Marjorie Deverona and her team are on the huge steps of an ancient city where Picard joins them just as a discovery is made. A 200-year-old Starfleet shuttle pod with the markings of NX-02, so therefore the shuttle came from the Columbia, was found. Two skeletons are near the shuttle pod, as are a bag of harmonic diamonds, which would have been worth a king's ransom in an earlier age, Picard observes. The Bullion archaeologist that found them proposes to give one to each member of the team, but Picard says they will be returned to their rightful owners. The Bolian disagrees, but the matter is dropped for the time being. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Deanna walks into a holodeck that is currently running Dr. Crusher's 1975 disco program. And the party is in full swing. The good doctor is at the center of the dance floor, playing the dancing queen with a lucky guy named Mikey. That night on Rajatha, the team is having dinner under the stars. Picard talks about the archaeological finds of the day, but most of the others can just talk about the diamonds and how they would spend them. We find out the Andorian cook is wanted by the Klingons, but they don't say why. Criminal activities are hinted at. Dr. DiVarona says that she would use the funds from the diamond sale to set up a foundation to finance hundreds of digs across the quadrant and she'd buy herself a moon. She playfully observes there's a little Ferengi in all of us. They each take one of the diamonds except for Picard, so that no one person needs to be trusted holding all of them, and they retire for the evening. The next morning, it is raining heavily, and they find Dr. DiVarona is dead. She fell from a height onto rocks. Her diamond is missing, so they acknowledge it could have been murder. The first thought is one of them did it. Then the Bolian named Guest points out they may not be the only ones on this planet. They find someone had disabled the radio by removing a chip, and all the phasers have been taken. Picard returns to the shuttle pod alone to see if he can salvage parts for the radio and get that phase pistol working that they found the previous day. Meanwhile, on the holodeck, Beverly explains to Deanna what disco is and says she should try it, but avoid dancing with that guy named Carlos. Of course, Carlos is preparing to approach Troy for some sweet, sweet dancing. On his way to the shuttle pod, Picard is shot at. Picard is able to turn the tables on his attacker and ends up holding the phaser on Dr. Hoyle. 
Hoyle says he did not kill Dr. De Verona, so Picard takes him with him at gunpoint to the shuttle pod. In the shuttle, Picard finds the android Schwarin is dead with a knife in his chest. The phase pistol is gone, and the comms are smashed. Or so Picard says. Outside the shuttle pod, he finds Hoyle and the Bolian guest fighting over a phaser, and another team member, Cobb, dead on the ground. Hoyle ends up with a phaser blast to his chest and dies. Picard points his phaser at Guest. She says Hoyle killed Cobb and Schwinn, and tried to prove it by taking evidence out of Hoyle's clothes. Guest does not, however, find the diamonds. Picard says he believes her, and goes on to say he made an even bigger discovery, and he needs Guest's help. Back in Disco Land, Crusher continues to dance the night away until Riker interrupts, saying she needs to be in transporter room three in ten minutes. She gives her hunky dance partner a big steamy kiss before saving the program and ending it for now. Back on the planet, Picard and Guest together push the shuttle pod out of the way to expose a door. Picard believes this door will take them to the top of the ancient temple, which the Rajathans called a gateway to their heaven and hell. The door is there, and Picard is able to decipher its lock from his research and the shuttle pod's log. Picard and Guest walk through the doors into the uppermost chamber. Light is still streaming through slits in the ceiling, exposing a beautiful and intact ancient room. Guest is so awed by the sight that she gives Picard her diamonds, saying all this reminds her of why she got into archaeology in the first place. After she completes her act of contrition, Picard gives her an ovation. Surprised by the clapping, Guest tells Picard to explain. Picard explains that despite Guest continuing to say Hoyle had all the diamonds except for hers, he does not believe that. He believes the other diamonds are at the bottom of her water canteen, which Picard has not seen her drink from since the first murder. Picard says Guest killed all the others and took their diamonds. Realizing the jig is up, Guest grabs a nasty-looking Rajathan ceremonial weapon that is U-shaped and has saw teeth along the inside edge of the U. She attempts to back out through the entrance, but finds Riker, Worf, and Dr. Crusher waiting for her. Picard says he was able to use the shuttle pod's radio to contact the Enterprise before Guest killed Hoyle. Later back on the Enterprise bridge, Riker explains the shuttle pod was reported stolen from the Columbia in 2296. Troy says the diamonds were unregistered, so they all could have had one free and clear. Being the sole survivor of the dig team, Troy asks Picard what he plans to do with the treasure. Picard says, as per Dr. De Verona's plans for her share, they will be given to the Daystrom Institute to finance additional archaeological digs across the quadrant. That and Picard may buy a moon. He playfully says, there is a little Ferengi in all of us, echoing Dr. De Verona's joke from a few days ago. Picard wonders to himself why he was not affected by the diamonds like the others. He observes he did not touch them like the others did. Or perhaps a starship captain craves something more. The end.
So I loved seeing the shuttlebug. Me too. I thought that was so cool. Great fan service for Enterprise fans. Right. Yeah, I haven't read the Destiny. So there was a series of novels called Destiny that on the first cover it also shows like a a crashed shuttle pod being investigated or whatever. I think it's the first one where Ezri and Brashear leave Deep Space Nine oh, and, okay. and Picard and them are, are doing their thing. So it was a big cross Star Trek crossover book and cool. they kind of wanted to bring Enterprise in. So somehow the Enterprise shuttle pod factors into it. But mm-hmm. on the cover, it shows a crash shuttle pod. And when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that looks like the cover of that book. Which I haven't read, which I need to get around to one of these days. <laughs> cool. So, it would be kind of cool if this was the same shuttle pod from that book. But, I, like I said, I haven't read that one yet, so I don't know. Right. And I really doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> so, the shuttle pod was stolen from the Columbia. Interesting. Shuttle pods from back then were slow vehicles. They didn't have FTL. I mean, they didn't have warp drive. So I'm kind of wondering how it got to that planet. Unless there was uh, like a mothership or something, and then they just took that ship down. But then what happened to the mothership? Right. They don't don't mention anything about it. I mean, anyway. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So it was great seeing it, but it's like, well, how did that get there? Right. Yeah, it didn't really factor into anything. Yeah. But speaking of not factoring into anything... What the heck's up with all the disco crap? Ah. <laughs> well, they, you know, they want an A and B story. Something to break up the main story, the A story. Yeah, but it didn't really go anywhere. Well, it, just, it was just a way of showing, you know, what Dr. Crusher gets up to sure. in her free time. Right. Kissing holographic disco stews. I get it. Name Mikey. Yes. And my, my, my. Look at that dress of hers. That, yeah. is, that is some low-cut action. Right. That is so, plunging for that sure. That is quite plunging. But uh, well, I mean, I, I she is a dancer, cute. so it makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. I, I thought it was cute. I yeah, mean, it's like disco, though. And she, you know, uh, Gates McFadden is a dancer. Sure. In, in real life, so that kind of was good. And then and Dr. Crusher established that she could dance when she danced with Data. So it all makes sense. But disco? <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> but it didn't, I mean, I didn't mind having the B story, and I didn't mind it being in the holodeck and, and, the, and the disco thing. It just, it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. It just, they spent the afternoon in the disco, and R- Crusher had to go away. Uh, I guess she was leaving. Did Troy stay after she left? No. No, she, oh, she shut down the program. She turned down the computer. So my, my, my question is, did Troy end up dancing with uh, Carlos? Uh, yeah, it shows her dancing. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. I missed that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like in the background or something? Uh, well, actually, she's in the foreground and Crusher's in the background. Oh, oh, okay. It's there on page 16. Okay. Right before she goes and gives uh, Disco Stew. What's his real name? I forgot. Mikey. Mikey, the big old smooch. (laughs) 
So, anyways. Uh, but it was funny, that shot of uh, Crusher drinking her margarita or whatever that is with the straw. Uh, I just recently watched the episode where Data has the dreams, and in one of the dreams it has Dr. Crusher drinking something out of a straw that's in Riker's head. Okay. So oh, I remember that. It looks exactly like that <laughs> shot. <laughs> that was a weird. That was a weird episode. It was a weird episode. But was that was that the one where somebody was made into a cake and they were yeah, taking Troy pieces was, out? Troy was made out of cake. Okay. They were eating her. Wow. Weird. Okay. <laughs> it was a good one. It was yeah. Good. Where we knew the first issue was from. Season one, because Tasha was there. Sure. And she died near the end in the skin of evil of season one. So we know that much. But we don't really know exactly where, to be sure. Now this one, we got a big old fat hint. Where, where this slots exactly. Picard's personal log says, With Ambassador Spock's decision to remain on Romulus, I return to the Enterprise. And anyway. Oh, uh, right. So we so know. This takes place right after that. Exactly. So uh, wasn't it, I think, Unification 2? Isn't that the one where right. Spock tries to yeah. unify uh, Vulcan and, and, and Romulan governments? And I think it was at the end of the second one uh, where he decided to stay on Romulus. Yeah, it was, it was a two-partner. So yeah, at the end right. of the second one, he right. stays. Well, I so, don't think he was ever not staying, but <laughs> okay, he well, made it official well, but, that he wasn't going back. Yeah, but, well, well, Picard found out. I guess towards the end. Anyway, well, I mean, so that that's... was the whole thing. He went to Picard went there to get him, and then as soon as he showed up in in part two, uh, Spock said he had no intention of leaving, and then then they have a whole episode as to why he's staying, and he ended up staying. But anyways, that was season five, right? So this, season this five, episode eight, right after that. Air date cool. November ninth, nineteen ninety one. That is a good one. The idea of bringing Leonard Nimoy back was great. And I didn't know that, but when Brian was on the show that one time, he mm-hmm. mentioned that that was just a publicity stunt for them to promote Star Trek VI, which was coming out around the same time. Which well, I never okay, that but way. I mean, granted, but I mean, they always talked about, I mean, ever since they had DeForest Kelly on, on the first episode, I mean, mm-hmm. there was talk about them maybe bringing other Taws actors on. From time to time. Which As they eventually did with Scotty. Right. And when you say eventually, it's like three episodes later. Okay. Which okay. I didn't I didn't realize that. I guess it's season it's the beginning of season six, so I guess it technically is the next year. But I've been okay. recently rewatching them and we started with season five and I was shocked on how fast after unification Scotty shows up. I was like, Oh, I didn't realize they were back to back like Well, that. okay. Episode eight, they tended to have 21, 22 episodes every season. And Unification 2 was episode 8 of season 5. So, so I guess it's the next year. But still. Right, yeah. One year. Sure. Well, they probably got such a good reaction from uh, having Nimoy on. They probably started thinking, well, who else can we get on? Or maybe they had been thinking it and well, whatever. I, I'm sure they got a lot of good feedback from the Spock episode. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, good point about the exact placement of this episode, this right. issue, this lost episode. Exactly. So sometimes I help you out with a little clue 
but some of the, I, I don't, well, when we get to three, I don't remember three, you know, there being any clues for number three. Oh, there's a huge clue. Oh, is there? Okay. Huge, huge clue. Okay. Maybe I missed it. <laughs> um, anything now, else for this one? Yeah. Okay. I really don't because I didn't really care for it. Oh, really? Oh, I loved <laughs> it. This was, it was a murder mystery. It was Picard getting his archaeological thing going. Yeah, I like that part. But then it was just like, just things happened. And then at the end, he's like, oh, oh I'm, I'm... He got, he got to play I'm a Perot. murder mystery guy. Yeah, he's right. Hercule Perot, or... I thought that was great. I don't know. Why didn't they kill him throughout the whole thing? I mean, if she was just dusting off people... Why well, they did try to. And that's another... Th- I have another comment. Uh, I have a theory that Hoyle and Guest were working together. They were in cahoots. And then Guest ended up killing him. And here's why. The idea that Guest, the Bolian woman, was able mm-hmm. to kill four people in such a short period of time, that's a lot for one person to do. Right. Um, and then the radio was disabled. All the phasers were stolen. Dr. D. Verona was killed. And apparently the phase pistol was grabbed too. And that all happened in one night. Again, you know, difficult for one person to do all those things. And my final theory is um, when Guest and Hoyle were fighting over the phaser, Hoyle says, let me, let me, let me, like, like, let me what? Let me kill Picard? Let me... Let, let me have it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because definitely maybe Guest got the idea that, oh, maybe we don't have to kill Picard if I do this ploy thing, but I'm a poop head enough uh, that I'm going to go ahead and kill my partner. Or maybe it was, it was on accident. I don't know. But right. Anyway, th- there's just a few, few clues there that I, I just think Guest and Hoyle were working together. But, so, but there's also the part where they're saying that it, something about the planet altered, altered their personalities and made them act like that, Oh, right? the diamonds. Yeah. At the end, Picard theorizes the di- touching the diamonds might have done something. And, and maybe it just, just brings out the uh, Ferengi in those people. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they were all in on it because they're all backstabbing each other. So they all okay. have a little part of the not knowing what the other one was doing. They ended up maybe, you know, maybe so. doing all of it. But also Hoyle was the one that uh, tried to kill Picard. So, and that was never explained. So, you know, Picard got his hands on the phaser, and so he had him dead to rights. I mean, Hoyle said he didn't kill anybody, or didn't kill Dr. DiVarona, but then why are you shooting Picard, trying to shoot Picard? Right, right. I mean, do, do you think Picard did it? Is that why you're doing it? And you're completely innocent? I don't think so. Again, I think it supports the idea that Hoyle and Guess were working together, but... Who knows? They didn't actually say. So, um, who did you say was shooting at Picard? Hoyle. Dr. Hoyle. But Hoyle says that he didn't do it, and he even oh, says, yeah. look at my phaser, it hasn't been fired. Oh. Uh, la, 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 la. Dr. Hoyle, let's talk. Uh, it wasn't me, look at my phaser, has been... Okay, good point, but how did he get a phaser? Where, where did he get it? Where did Dr. Hoyle get his hands on a phaser? They were all stolen by the murderer. Well, we assume they were stolen by the murderer. Oh, yeah, good point. Good point. So, 
so Schwan, the the Andorian, who's a cook, he somehow ends up in the shuttle ahead of Picard. Picard left. Um left all of them to go to the thing and he and he said, Yeah, anybody want to come with me? And none of them did. Now maybe Picard was delayed by the scuffle with Hoyle. So maybe Schwan, Schwinn made it there first. Made and it then there got first stabbed. and then got stabbed. Right. But I thought that was kind of odd or convenient. Sure. I mean, convenient to tell the story. So you got you gotta knock these guys off, right? So But interesting right. it was with a knife. Yeah, you would think you could you stand for fingerprints or something. Oh, that's another thing. Or just whose knife is this? Oh, it's it's, it's Hoyle's. Good point. Anyway, I mean, the the idea that Picard was was detective enough that he noticed <laughs> the bully and stopped drinking from her canteen. I thought that was kind of like really did he notice that? <laughs> Although I was also thinking it's kind of clever. I could. I could see the possibility of that. Well, if she did drink out of it, it would make that tinking sound. Like, click, 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 click. Exactly. Hey. Exactly. Seems weird. Exactly. Supporting the idea. And then the idea that they actually uh, finally got into it by using uh, some of the log information from the shuttle. I thought that was kind of cool. And I thought the drawing, all the drawings of the uh, ancient city, I thought they looked pretty cool. Yeah. So the big, huge steps and stuff. And that was pretty cool. All right, so here's the part that I thought was a little silly. Okay. We're talking about harmonic... Oh, harmonic diamonds. Yeah. Diamonds, right? Never heard that, of them before. That make a humming sound, right? Right, or right. A, a tone. Yep. And then the weapon that she has is a giant tuning fork with, <laughs> uh, with teeth on it. Exactly. So uh, is it a tuning fork? I mean, is that part of the whole harmonic diamond thing? Is oh, that, that's how it stays in tune? <laughs> I doubt it, sincerely. I mean, quite frankly, quite frankly, the harmonic diamonds, I, I thought they were in a bag. They found them in a bag, and I thought it was from the, the two skeletons. It was a, from a bag one of the two skeletons had. That's what I thought. But so, they were trying to steal from the archaeological site, I thought. Well, who knows where they came from? Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. I mean, if you had that many diamonds, would you bother going to this archaeological site in the first place? You'd probably be on Riza living it up. Right. So I, you're, I you're probably they right. Stole them from you probably it, they and probably then, did. And then and then they fought over them. Yeah, killed each other. Exactly. Before they could get into the big holy room or whatever. Right. I'm just saying. If you take diamonds and put it next to a giant tuning fork, you yeah. have <laughs> harmonic diamonds. I did not even tie those two things together, but good point. Yes, it looks like a tuning fork with saw teeth on the inside. On the inside. Which is, isn't that kind of odd? I mean, if you're yeah. going to have sawtooth that actually uses it, you know, you know, maybe for anything, I mean, wouldn't you put it on the outside? I don't know. Yeah, think about it. If you had that and you put a tree limb that was exactly that size. Exactly that size. Exactly. Yeah, it would chop it'd it up be, fast. It'd be handy. You just kind of have to try in the right tree. <laughs> or somebody's arm if it's a weapon. Ooh, ooh. Or a doctor's item to, to remove a, a limb. Mm. Okay. Anyway, this one's my favorite so far. Oh, this is your favorite. Yeah. I like this one a lot. Mm. It's different, you know. Yeah. Showing Picard and 
again, definitely feels like a season five episode. Yes. It's a murder mystery type thing and the uh, ar- archaeological stuff. Yep. Yep. That Picard suddenly became really interested in there towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's kind of a handy thing. I mean, it's, it's good that he's got this little archaeological thing. He can get into Indiana Jones-style adventures with Vaj. Right, right. Okay. All right, anything else? That's it for me. Okay. All right, so the last one we're covering today is issue three. came out March of 2007, entitled Strategy. And this one we know is set in season seven. And we know that for two reasons. One... Troy will be in her uniform and not the uh, catsuit thing. There is another clue. So it's very close to the end of season seven. The writing staff, same. Art staff's the same. The inks, I think, are a little different on this one in that they are by Aaron Leach and Cassie or Casey Mallory. Letters are also different. And this is by, nope, still Robbie Robbins. So that's that's the only difference is the uh, inks and the colors. There are several covers. The first one shows just a painting of Jordy with his masked visor. He's like in a little inset box towards the bottom. And then behind him is kind of like a not really a blueprint, but definitely a kind of blue and white drawing or sketch of the Enterprise D. That is by Jeremy Geddes. The photo cover is of Worf in his Season 7 uniform, and then there's a little inset of Troy in her Season 7 uniform. The uh, next cover, another photo cover, is just Riker, and I believe that's it. So just two photo covers and the art cover. Well, this shows that there's another uh, Zach Howard cover that shows kind of a drawing of... Oh, this is an unused one. It's in the back of the book. It's an unused uh, cover, which shows Riker in the background. And then in the foreground, we see Troy in her purple catsuit thing. And it looks like she's in pain or something with, with uh, some sort of uh, white lines radiating from her head. Pain! <laughs> That's my Shatner impression. It's a good one. The Enterprise is attacked, and the ship is rocked. So Worf was in a hallway when this happens, falls over along with another crew member, uh, and then he jumps up and he heads towards Troy's room. Even though he's being called to head back to the bridge, he instead goes to his new lover's room, that being of Diana Troy, just to check on her. Uh, He finds her. She's severely hurt. He gets the medical team there, and he's able to save her life. Eventually, he does make his way back to the bridge, and when he gets there, he sees that the Enterprise's attacker is a hybrid ship of a Federation saucer section, some Romulan nacelles, and then some other Borg model bits pasted on. Worf is chastised by Riker for being late, but he's able to take his station, and he fires a couple of good shots at the alien craft, and the craft then retreats. With the Enterprise damaged, it's unable to follow, but the team do go into the operation room to discuss options. They speculate that this could actually be part of a Borg-Romulan alliance of some sort. They're unable to contact Starfleet directly, so they send a probe 
to a nearby space station, and they say it'll take about two days for the probe to get there. And then, as they're being dismissed, Picard orders Worf to stay a little longer. Once alone, he tells Worf that even though he saved Troy's life, he disobeyed orders, and that cannot be done on a ship, despite people's personal feelings. Later on the bridge, Data speculates that the side of the ship that Troy was on was actually the main target of the alien craft all along. So at a loss as to why the alien craft would target that particular part of the ship, the ship then arrives again and continues its attack. All the attempts to hail the amalgam ship fail. Troy is able to wake up from her medical-induced coma long enough to say that she can feel that the ship is completely empty and being controlled by remote. With this new information, Data is able to create a pulse wave that negates the remote leak. Once the ship is disconnected, it self-destructs. Later, the Enterprise is at the Starbase for repairs. Worf is walking along the corridors again when he hears yelling from Troy's room. He barges in to find Troy and Riker in a pillow fight. Riker says he was just leaving for a hot date and then leaves Worf and Troy to share a good smooch or two. Later in Picard's ready room, he and Data are discussing what happened. They say that the ship was designed specifically to take out the Enterprise. And they wonder who this mysterious foe is and why. It was just uh, declaring our end of the issue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I'm okay with this issue, although I there's a few things about it I think are really hokey, but in general, this was this was good. I liked it. Right. So the uh, the love romance between the Troy triangle. and uh, Worf is how you know this is like in the last two episodes of season seven. Well, because that didn't happen until then. Okay, so the beginning of Troy and Worf's relationship started at the end of the Parallels episode. So that's season seven, episode eleven. Well, that was with that was on the Worf side, and then later Troy. Oh well, yeah, had, but and then later. Troy has a uh, a vision from a uh, a person who committed suicide on the Enterprise, yeah. and she's a, and in her vision, she and Worf also have a relationship together. Right. But then when she wakes up, she realizes it never happened. I mean, and now we're getting close. That was like the third, the last episode. So they didn't actually get together until like the last episode. Oh wow. Okay. Um, okay. Because I thought Deanna was quite taken with. Uh... Wharf pouring they champagne. They never went them. out on dates until the like the last episode. Oh, okay. So this, so you're saying this happened after the last episode? This has this has to happen like right before the last episode, right before where when uh, what all good things. Okay, so the second to last episode is where they went out. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Uh, like I said, we've been rewatching them and right. We're, we just finished the uh, the one with the suicide thing where it was kind of implied that in her dream they had a relationship, but in real life they didn't. So 
and that's the third to last episode. So I'll tell you uh, tomorrow after okay. I watch the, the last so, episode. So this was quite a slow burn then. If it started in episode 11, and there's typically you know 22 or so episodes. Right. So it took, I don't know, 11 episodes. Well, not 11, but nine, seven, eight? For them to finally uh, do something that started in episode 11. Exactly. Yeah. Well, okay, cool. <laughs> okay, well, we know it's somewhere in season seven, and then additional information that says towards the end. Yeah, right. Cool. Okay. So the first one, we're really not 100% sure. It could be really early in season one, or it could be any point season one prior to Skin of Evil. Yeah, exactly. Which now, is what? Seasons, or episodes six or seven, something like that? About halfway? Um, I thought it was... I thought it was later, but I don't... Uh, do I remember? Uh, did I take notes on that? If I did, I don't remember. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Nah, it doesn't really... Not that much. But she definitely died at Skin of Evil. Right. Wasn't she, wasn't she in most of season one? Or did, did they kill her off that fast? Hmm. Hey, now here's his ch- chiming. Uh, season... Uh, Skin of Evil is actually episode 23. So yeah, you're right. Okay, so it's towards the end. So you didn't like this one, or you did like this one? Oh, I liked it. It's just... Okay, so I found some difficulties with it. I mean, when I saw that the attacker was on page three or four of the story, whatever it is, when they mm-hmm. finally see that the attacker was some kind of kit bash of <laughs> a Federation saucer section and deflector dish mm-hmm. and a Romulan Diradex, I, I, I probably mispronounced that, and then some Borg bits... It was like, ho, ho! I was like, wow! This, oh, this is going to be cool. And then it went on to be cool, but not as cool as I thought. Yeah. Because the whole idea that... So Picard says, oh, we may be looking at some kind of Borg-Romulan alliance? Well, what about the Federation saucer section in the front? I mean, it makes no sense. I mean, quite frankly... I don't know what makes any sense to kitbash those three different styles or <laughs> together, but it looks cool. But it's like, I don't understand why. Yeah, certain shots look cool. Other shots look really stupid, I thought. Well, okay. <laughs> so it isn't the coolest ship in the world. But it was like, i never seen that before. Right, right. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And the first thing I thought was, you know, how does that work? Because uh, I thought that the... Romulans powered their ships with like tiny black holes, right? Mm-hmm. So. Little similar singularity worm uh, wormholes, black holes, whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how how does that technology work with what looks to be the Federation saucer section and, and engineering section? Right. I. Good question. Now, didn't they actually say it has the um, the warp core? Of a of a Deerdex, uh, the Romulan warp core. I think they said something like that. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It looks so cool just because I wasn't expecting it. But it's like in the end, they don't know the source of it, although probably heavily likely that it's some kind of Romulan thing, and we never find out because they never come back to this. Right. Well, they did not in this issue. Well, not in the next three either, and there's only six. I know enough about that. Uh, Well, at least, well, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I didn't. I haven't gone through all the. I haven't gone through all the details of issues four through six, but 
I, I did not spot this in, in the pages I saw. Did you anyway, read it, though? Well, no, I didn't read them yet. Oh, well, I have. I okay. know what happens. Okay, so does it come back? <laughs> yes. Oh, it does come back? Yeah, this is the whole mystery of the, the six. This is, this is the first one that's like, oh, maybe they all tie in together. Okay, well, so, the first a three... A little thread. Okay, so the first three have nothing to do with each other. So, so in, you think... in somewhere in four through six, this ship comes back? Or another one of these? Mm, we'll see. Oh, cool. I did not see that in the, uh, in the pages I looked through. I looked through a fair number. Huh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so we don't next, know where this came episode, from. Next episode, all will be revealed. Okay. Now I got to look at issue four. Or just keep, just read it when you get to reading it. Speaking of artwork, very consistent with the last two. Uh, most of the time, people look really good, though, I would say. Uh, better than that first issue, but uh, it's still that little cartoony style. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when they do the ship battles, they are beautiful. Yes. Yeah, I think it's good quality stuff. Right. And then um, one of the things I was wondering, and... And I read through this a couple times because when I read this the first time, I thought they said something about a Tholian weapon. And when you're looking at the pictures, it does show, I mean, but that's... Tholian weapon. Yeah, I, I, when I read it the first time, because I just read it, okay. right? I read all six, and then yeah. I came back and was doing the synopsis, and I was, I had to read it. A couple more times because I swear they said something about a Tholian weapon, but upon rereading it, I could never find that again. So you're not knowing what I'm talking about. So I, I don't recall Tholian being mentioned, but I could have. Yeah, I could have missed it. Now I don't think you did because, like I said, I did reread it to to see why I was thinking that, but uh, I could never find it. Hmm. So, anyways, I did like the uh, the callback to Enterprise with the remote control Romulan ships. Yeah, I thought that was cool. That, that was a nice little nod because that's the only time we ever hear about them being masters of remote shipping. Right. And uh, I, I thought it was very good that they they figured it out and was able to uh, launch those. What, what they almost look like Taw's uh, photon torpedoes that just happen to look like coffins. Uh, <laughs> that go ahead and, and set up that constellation of uh, interference around the ship. Right. So I thought that was clever that they figured that out, and then it just so happened to self-destruct when it loses contact. Right. Um, Which I think is what happened in Enterprise, too. When, oh, did it? When they were being attacked by what we, the Watcher, knew was a Romulan ship, but right. they shouldn't know yet because it was before the Romulan Earth War. So. Right. So that was that like green bug looking thing, or right? Know, yeah, it was like a little thing, probe. But... I think I think the episode's called probe. But anyways, uh-huh. yeah, it's a. It looked kind of like a, a, a old school Romulan ship, but a lot smaller. And yeah, I think it was green. Yeah. Cool. Did you really understand why Riker and Troy were having the pillow fight? <laughs> okay, I thought it was really good how Riker was falling on the sword. And, you know, being the good guy and kind of even helping along, you know, Worf right. and Deanna's relationship. That was, that was very cool. But the pillow fight? <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, so how he was helping out was that uh, he brought Troy her favorite dessert, mm-hmm. said it was from Worf. Yep. And 
And wasn't there flowers or something too? Well, no, Worf brought the. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, she had flowers too. Yeah. But but yeah, Worf did bring some kind of flowers. Yeah. But right, but his was like a little potted plant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Riker brought the her favorite whatevers. Right. And. Uh, then, and it seems like they already and, ate and some the, chocolate. Uh, they ate the chocolate dessert with, without Worf. Hey, Worf <laughs> wanted you to have this. Uh, let's eat it together and then have a pillow fight. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And then uh, Riker says, oh, I can't stay. Got a date. So it's like, you know, he's the second in command. Is it? <sighs> it just it seems be... like it just seems like dating <laughs> Almost well, dating anybody would be dating somebody lower in rank, right? And just, just it just seems like a a Conflict. New York, a New York mayoral kind of uh, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, I had the same thought. In, in <laughs> there was there was a couple episodes that we were watching where he was have uh, hitting on women and and things like that on in Ten Forward, and I was yeah. just like, aren't they all your subordinates? It's, exactly. It seems kind of bad that you're you're uh, pursuing these things. Yeah, I think if Next Gen was produced these days, they'd probably steer away around those kind of scenes. Right. Yeah, but they they're doing it in Orville, so. Oh, I mean, uh, they have Orville? very similar, very similar. Like, people can go on just random dates with with other crew members oh, despite the rank. That's true. I guess in the future we'll be beyond Ooh. that. We'll just take everybody at their true value and not uh, did they go out with me or not kind of thing. Right. There you go. In the future, people won't use their positions in an organization to uh, force people to have sex with them. Right. Right. So no one will even think about it. Okay. Yeah. So you stop thinking about it and let's finish this book. Let's move on. The last thing I just want to say is it's kind of awkward where Picard was calling... Wharf on the carpet for not going to the bridge right away and instead going and basically saving Troy's life, as Picard says. Right. But even more so, in the end, it turned out that whoever attacked them had good enough intelligence about who's on the ship that Troy and her empathic abilities is the only one that could tell that that's a remote control ship. Right. So that's theoretically why they tried to kill her off in the attack. And even more so, if Worf did not save her, then uh, which which Picard calls him on the carpet for, they very well could have lost the entire ship and every all everybody on the ship. Exactly. So Worf defying orders is what saved the ship. After exactly. All. Exactly. That and Troy's convenient waking up from the coma to well, give that information. Exactly. And and did did she really have to walk all the way to the bridge? Is right. Walk all the way to the bridge, beam back to sick bay, then tell them. Right. Yeah, it seemed a little, little, a but little that, prolonged. But that does give Riker the ability to be a good guy again, and saying, uh, "I need somebody to take Deanna back." Right. You feel you can handle that, Worf? Okay. There you go, big guy. You owe me. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one. All right. Well. That's it then. Next episode, we will finish out this series and see if it does indeed tie together. Sounds with, good. Uh, issues four it through six. Because I just scanned through issue four and I don't see the ship again. But I'm yeah, sure that's explained. 
You won't in four. You it's won't. Dropped. Oh, are you messing with me? Because I'm sure four is in the past, right? So four takes place in what season? Like three or something. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, have I, I haven't read it yet, so I, I can't right. say. Yeah, but I think they go back in time. So, and why we don't get we don't around? get back to season seven until issue six? Spoiler. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I like these. These are great. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm sorry they didn't do more of them. Right. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll be back next week. See you guys next time on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review <laughs>